This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Praise God. Well, you ready to get in the Word for a little while today? That was going to ask you one more time and give you one more chance at that. Are you ready to get in the world? Not world. Not the world. Let me try it again. The Word, not the world. You stay out of the world. I was trying, you know, you know, everything is iPhone, cell phone, video deals, you know. So it's like every time I turn around, I'm being asked to do some video for something. And so yesterday, prior to coming here, I was contacted. Can you send out a quick video greeting for somebody that was, it was an anniversary. And it is weird when you get tongue tied. And then once you get tongue tied, you redo, 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 and you can't now get untied from your tongue tied. I kept saying anniversary. <laughs> anniversary. I want to I want to congratulate you on your anniversary and then I did it again. Anniversary. What's that? And so word not world. Word. You ready to get in the word? All right. Now I know we're ready to go. Grab your Bible then and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, I love the response, I love the excitement in this atmosphere here today. What a faith church, what a Holy Ghost church. That is an awesome combination, by the way. When you're a word people, a Holy Ghost people, you are word people, right? You are Holy Ghost people, right? You don't have the Holy Ghost duct taped in the back cabinet somewhere hidden away, do you? All right. Glory to God. I'm telling you right now, people come to church, they need the move of God. They don't need fake. They don't need religion. They don't need put on. They need the truth of the Word of God, and they need a move of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Well, First Timothy chapter 6 is where I'd like you to go. Verse 12. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, it says, Fight. The good fight of faith. Say that with me. Fight the good fight of faith. Say it again. Truly living by faith is a fight. It's not a red carpet that's rolled out before you and the devil gets out of your way and lets you have whatever it is you're going for. It's actually a fight. First of all, there's a fight to get faith. Now, faith isn't hard to get, but you're going to have to fight with your flesh to get it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So if you don't discipline yourself, you'll have every excuse in the world why you can't get faith. Your TV will keep you from faith. Your video games will keep you from faith. Your calendar that you filled up, by the way, will keep you from faith. So there's a fight. I've got to have faith and I've got to be strong in faith. How many understand the last days you have to be strong in faith and you have to be proficient in using it? I mean, you got to be good at it. you got to hit the bullseye. Right? How many has already learned that, that in the last days we've got to hit the bullseye with our faith? We can't just be practicing all the time. All right? So there's a fight to get faith. There's a fight to live by faith. There's a fight to stand in faith. But you're fighters. You are fighters. Said, I am a fighter. I am a faith warrior. 
You're going to have to be determined that no matter what comes, you're going to stand in faith, stay on the promises of God, do what God said to do so that you can have what God said you will have. No matter the circumstances. I like what Dr. Barclay says, no matter what people say, no matter what my circumstances say, no matter what the devil says. Amen. So fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Now go with me to the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. When you get there, look up here at me. Now, I think this is my water. Is it okay if I drink out of this one here? I don't want to steal somebody else's water. Joe, is this your water? I'm not stealing your water. I don't want to fight with you right now, man. I'm fighting a good fight of faith, but I'm not going to fight you. I know you can whip me. My wife could whip you, but I know you could whip me. Just messing with you, Joe. I've been messing with him since he sat down next to me, though. Now, everybody, everybody find first or Second Thessalonians one. You find it? Look up at me. That way, I know you you really did and you're ready to go. Fight the good fight of faith. There must be, absolutely must be, something in your life that you can point to and say, "My faith did that." My faith did that. I got that by my faith. Not not to make you cocky, you know, like you're something, but that your faith in what God promised has brought to pass something God promised. Whether it's healing in your body, you should be able to, you should have things that you can point to and say, I remember when God healed me of this. I remember when God healed me of that. I remember, what, do you see what I'm saying? My faith worked. Uh, my faith produced. You should You should have things in your life where you can say, that need was met by God doing this. This need was met by God doing that. But it was your faith that did it, right? Your faith in God's promise. Because if you don't release your faith, nothing's happening, honey. God's promises are there, but nothing's coming to pass in your life until you build faith in those promises and then release your faith in, in those promises. Does that make sense to you? So you, you ask you. I'm not, I'm not asking you as an interview, but I want you to ask you. What can I point to, to my, in my life and say... My faith did that. My faith produced that. I have that in my life today because my faith worked. There has to be those things. There has to be things that you were willing to fight for to have them come to pass in your life. Are you still with me? Amen. Now, 2 Thessalonians 1.3. It says this, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith... Groweth exceedingly. Your faith, say my faith, grows exceedingly, and the charity or the love of every one of you all toward each other abounds. Now, ask yourself another question. What price am I willing to pay to have faith that grows exceedingly? That when we start the year, where I'm at at the end of the year is so much more. In other words, the things I'm able to tackle... Are so much greater. A number of years ago, my wife and I, when I say a number of years ago, almost 30 years ago, my wife and I pioneered a church. Um, the definition of pioneering a church is that you have zero people. In our case, we not only had zero people, we had zero money. Just an assignment. So we show up, we go where we're told to go, 
and uh, I rented um, a hotel meeting room. I believe it was $85 a week for the hotel meeting room. Now, that, that you probably go, man, well, that's pretty easy. Well, 30 years ago, 85 bucks. Maybe not to you, but to me, 85 bucks, 850 bucks. What's the difference? 8,500 bucks. When you got nothing, just the assignment, even 85 bucks a week is big. And we went out in the street and we began to win souls and pass out tracks in the park and do things to reach people. We didn't go in trying to split somebody else's church. See, if I got to help you, see, I got to do the preaching, but if I have to cue you in on when to amen too, I'm going to be flat worn out by the time this service is over. I'll do my part. You've got to know when to come in on yours. All right. So we saw our faith work and we, we built a church, but I remember that $85 a week bill was massive, massive, massive. Now I look back and think, my goodness, you know much, how much we got to have a week now to do all the stuff we do? The, what you got to be able to believe in? See, your faith has to grow, and it has to grow exceedingly if you're ever going to take a new level, take a new step to go to a higher place in God. And I'll be honest with you, just living life, just life in general, apart from the call of God on, on a minister's life, for example, just living life, your faith can't stay the same. Because it's, it seems that as life goes along, you'll have different level of opportunities to believe God. In other words, there's stuff that just takes place that, man, if I'm weak in faith, this thing would defeat me. If I'm neglecting my faith, this thing's going to mess up my world. So I'm starting you off with a couple of quick verses about fighting the fight of faith and then having your faith grow exceedingly. Somebody say amen. Um, I'm going to give you a couple more verses and then I want to share some stuff with you. Habakkuk, you don't have to turn there, but maybe if you're a note taker, write this down. Habakkuk 2.4. Habakkuk 2.4. Second half of the verse says, but the just shall live by his faith. So faith is not just a cool teaching. It's how you live. The just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. That's how you live. It's not what you do Sundays. It's how you live. You with me? Romans chapter 117. I'll say, I'll quote this one to you. Romans chapter 1, verse 17, it says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. In other words, from one level of faith to a higher level of faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So clearly we can see that we're supposed to be growing from one level to the next level to the next level. That our faith is supposed to grow exceedingly. And now we're learning in these two verses, in addition to that, that we're supposed to be living by faith. This is how we live. This is how we conduct our life. Well, to live by faith means that we are living based on what God said, even if our circumstances contradict what God said. 
that we're going to have to take our faith in the promises of God and change the circumstances. Anybody in here have circumstances that need to be changed? Stuff needs to be driven out, driven out of your body or driven out of your family or whatever. Or maybe you've got a financial battle. You need, to, you need the shortage driven out of your life and you need the prosperity to come. That takes place by our using our faith. Our faith in God's word will do that. It will, it will work. You just got to be willing to fight. If you're not a fighter, if you're a quitter, if you're quick to quit, a lot of people are quick to quit. They love teaching on faith until they actually have to use it. Until they actually have to press against some thing that has risen up against them. Until they have to take this verse and begin to actually speak to the mountain. That means they actually have a mountain that is in their way and needs to be removed. They love the teaching of faith until a mountain is there. And they realize this is going to take a stance of faith to sit there and speak to that thing and, call, and command it to be removed by faith in Jesus' name. And be willing to stand as long as it takes until that thing is cast into the sea. Are you with me here? It's a fight. It's a fight. And so you've got to know that going in. You've got to, you've got to get more of a warrior mentality. You've got to get more of a warrior mentality give you a quick story here. Uh, they were interviewing a, I believe it was a Marine. And he was in Iraq. And I'm not exactly sure because they don't usually send them in one at a time. Uh, but somehow he found himself alone by this house. Uh, and I'm trying to remember one of, the, one, of the, one of those cities in Iraq that they were doing a lot of the door-to-door stuff combat in. And uh, they really believed that they had enemy behind the door of this house. And so he kicks the door in. And when he does, he finds seven shooters pointing right at him. Seven. Him. Seven. Him. Seven. Him. Seven. One gun. Seven guns. Well, when I'm hearing this story, my first thought is what the average Christian would do. They'd be ducking, running, hiding, finding a rock, crying, curled up in a fetal position. How come on? I've been in ministry almost 40 years, folks. Don't look at me like I don't know anything about Christians. I are one. But this guy, because he's a warrior, thought i got to take out seven of these guys. You see the different mentality of a warrior? A warrior looks at the opposition and says, i got to take out more than I thought I was going to have to take out. It's a bigger battle than I thought it was going to be. It's a bigger fight than I thought it was going to be. Where if you've got a quit mentality, you look at the situation and say, man, I'm out of here. No way. Now, the guy got shot. The warrior, he got shot several times. He had a bulletproof vest on. He didn't die. He got shot several times. He killed all seven of those combatants. All seven of them. All seven of them. Are you that kind of warrior? Are you the, oh, I didn't realize this mountain was that big. Y'all with me now? I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not just 
flapping my gums up here. I got something to go go with with on you here. Still riding on the ride with me? Haven't jumped off my train? Don't get off the train till it comes to the station today, okay? Stay with me. I'm going somewhere with this. I like to read. I'm a, I'm a big reader. I've always felt sorry for people that didn't like to read. Reading will expand you and help you. And so I love to read. I'm not only a Bible reader. I'm not only a Bible student, meaning I have other materials I read about my Bible, but I love American history and I love military history and Old West history and things of that nature. So I'm, I'm uh, one day at a Barnes & Noble and I'm just kind of perusing some books there. And I saw this book. This is some years back now. I saw this book and it just kind of got my attention. It's called American Gunfight. And it had a bullseye, uh, you know, from a, like a scope with Harry S. Truman's picture in the scope. I thought, what in the world? So I kind of was thumbing through it, you know, I thought, I wonder what this was about, you know. And uh, the long and short of it, a quick s- summary is, uh, I didn't know this, but Harry S. Truman, there was an assassination attempt against Harry Truman when he was president. How many of you knew that? Me either. So I thought, well, that's interesting. I, th- I think I'll pick up this book. So I did. And um, when, I, when I read it, and I'm not, I'm not endorsing the book, I'm just simply giving you, going somewhere with it. And the, the gist of the situation was Puerto Rico, which is an American territory, there were some folks that didn't want to be in American territory anymore. Uh, this, you know, back in the 50s. Didn't want to be in American territory, wanted to be free of the U.S. and U.S. entanglements. And they, you know, got, you know, a, a group of rabble-rousers together. And before long, they decided to send a couple of guys to assassinate the President of the United States. Well, at the time that they were showing up to kill the president, there was a remodel going on in the White House residential quarters. So the president was across the street at Blair House, which was a little easier to get to than the White House if, if you want to storm the White, you know, the Blair House instead of the White House. So it looked like perfect timing. And uh, you know how these, a book will do. You know, it'll tell the story of several people. It's, it's telling the story of not only what Harry S. Truman's doing, but these rabble-rousers and their, their lives. But then it'll cut into, you know, the Secret Service guys that are guarding the president, some of the D.C. police and all this. So, I mean, the book talks. I'm going somewhere. I'm going somewhere. The book talks about that the very day these guys showed up, a number of these Secret Service guys went in to uh, um, an underground section of the White House, a couple lower levels of the basement there. There's actually a shooting range. I never even knew that until I read this book. And they were in the shooting range that day. And these guys were sharpshooter level. They're, they're not just your average plinkers out there just trying to hit the can. Plink. These guys are good. These guys are real good. Um... And had most, most of them had been practicing that day, the day that these assassins show up. But the day the assassins showed up, everything changed. People were shot. Some died. You know why? Because the shooting range is not the same thing as real-life combat. 
We teach you the Word of God in here, and we give you the chance to practice your faith. But when you walk out of here, you're going into a real-world situation. And bullets are flying. The Bible talks about that you have to take the shield of faith and quench every fiery dart of the wicked when he's shooting stuff at your, your direction. And so if all you do is work the shooting range, it's going to be different when you're in combat. Because the shooting range, those paper targets, don't shoot back. Thank God they don't, but I'm glad they don't, but they don't shoot back. But your enemy does. And so they began to study scientifically what takes place when you're in severe stress and severe combat. I'm going somewhere with this. Stay right here with me. They begin to talk about what takes place to, in a person when they're in combat. You remember comparing shooting range, combat. They said one of the first things that happen when you're in real combat and somebody's setting out to destroy you, like the enemy comes to try to destroy your family, your finances, your business, marriage, you name it. First thing they discovered takes place when a person is under high combat stress is something called auditory exclusion. What is that? Auditory exclusion means your hearing shuts down. Suddenly you're not hearing things normally like you, like you would. Well, how's that apply to us? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Suddenly when people are under true combat, their hearing seems to shut down. It's like, man, we, I, you need to be in church. You need to be under, well, I got, I got this now. I'm trying to fight over this. I got all this stuff I've got to deal with over here, and I don't understand what i got to do. And they're not hearing anything. You're trying to explain to them, this is how we do this. This is how we stand. This is what we do. But they stop hearing because they're under intense combat. You all with me here? The other thing they said is when you're under that kind of stress and combat is that your vision changes. It's like you lose all peripheral vision. You just have this tunnel vision that takes place under that kind of stress. I've noticed that, too, among Christians when they're under pressure in the battle of faith. Instead of being able to see what's going on around them, they just are locked into this problem and they can't see anything else. That's why when you interview people who are in the middle of a high-stress situation, they say, did you hear that? I never heard that. Did you hear that? I never did hear that. Did you hear your commander holler to come? I never heard that. Did you see he was coming up? I didn't see anything. Y'all with me here? Something else that takes place when you're under high stress in, in a real combat like these Secret Service guys that day was that they said that your, your fingers, because your blood is pumping so hot and heavy, that your fingers actually inflate the, to the size of sausages. So now, though, you've mastered your shooting. Your gun doesn't fit your hand the same. Your hand is now inflated from the blood pressure pumping. And your ability to use your weapon now is not, it's, it's off. It's not, you're not as accurate with your weapon because of the stress of the combat. Y'all getting anything here? You're, you're, you're probably still trying to figure out what in the world I'm talking about. I'm talking about real life combat using your faith. Because when the devil's trying to destroy your home, your marriage, your finances, mess up your business, 
when the devil's come against your finances, when the devil has come against with uh, your body with some kind of disease or sickness and you just got some awful report when you went to the physician, that's real-life combat. That's heart beating out of your chest combat. How many know what I'm talking about? It's no longer shooting range. It's the real deal. Are you still excited about fight? Because this is where we're going to be at. Real mountains. Not imaginary mountains. Real mountains. Real attacks against our bodies. Real attacks against our money. Against our family. Now, before I go further, let me make sure we're clear. Your faith will work. The Word of God will, 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 everything God promised will still come to pass. But you better know what to do when you're in combat, not just when you're in a shooting range. And most people do not. Most people have shooting range faith. They don't have the combat zone faith. They do excellent until somebody's shooting back. I've had many combat experiences in my life. But none as personally hurtful as took place in my family a couple of years ago. Two years ago last month, my wife and I are sitting at our house and we're waiting for our oldest son and his wife and their three kids to come and tell us whether we're having another grandson or another granddaughter. They had just been to the doctor and we're getting the gender reveal. And so we're excited grandparents waiting for our information. We're going to woohoo either way. Woohoo! We're excited one way or the other. You know what I'm talking about. If you're a grandparent, you know what I'm talking about. We, we're good. I mean, we're ready. And uh, my son started sending me texts. Uh, we're going to be a little bit later. Just We'll be there as soon as we can. And half hour late, 45 minutes late, another text. We'll be there as soon as we can. So, you know, but I've been to the doctor before. You're supposed to be there at 10 o'clock appointment, and you don't even get to the room to sit and wait another hour until you're 11. So, so I just figured it was one of those deals, you know. Finally, they arrived, and I began sensing there was something there was something up. And uh, I began to steel myself against the report I was going to get. And um, may seem silly to you, but I actually purposed in my heart, I'm not going to flinch. Because if I so much as flinch, it could affect them and their faith. If they see dad look like dad's going to sink over this report, it could mess them up. So I'm not even going to flinch. Well, they gave us the first report, which was the gender. Well, we're having another daughter. They had, this time they had one son, and this would be daughter number three. They said, but when they were doing the ultrasound, they began to notice that she has a problem with her heart. And it's a severe problem. And they began to talk about what they began to discover with this ultrasound, which was that there were actually valves and things in her heart that were non-existent. They weren't even there. Not even there. And what was there was so small that it was not significant enough to pump blood to the remainder of her body, which would therefore impact her lungs, which would therefore impact her brain, which would therefore impact her future life severely, if she lived at all. 
a war just took place. Somebody just threw down, and we got to decide if we're going to do the fight of faith or whether or not we're going to have a handicapped granddaughter or whether or not we're going to have a funeral. But the devil threw down the gauntlet. And we had to decide if we're going to fight the good fight of faith and go after this thing or we're going to lose. We're fighters. I haven't spent my life learning how to use this book and teaching people all over the country about how to use their faith to suddenly be in a situation where we're not going to use ours. So we went after this thing. The report was horrific. I'm not even telling you everything. I don't think I've ever even spoke out of my mouth all the things that the report said. It was horrific. Horrific. So we began to apply our faith. My son and my daughter-in-law did an outstanding job of holding their mouth, making sure their words were only faith words. My oldest son works for me, and so I would see him day and night. Pretty much still to this day, he does the same thing. But he always had earphones in his ear. Brother Hagen's preaching some, you know, a word. Somebody's preaching the word of God to him, building his faith day and night. He's constantly saying what God said. He's calling this child healed. He's calling in vows that aren't there. After about the first month, they had a checkup and discovered there was a valve that was not there in August that suddenly appeared in September. Isn't that awesome? Isn't Jesus awesome? And they, you know, they stayed at it. We stayed at it. And, and uh, October came, another checkup. This time, zero changes. Zero. November came, another checkup. Zero changes. December came. Now they're getting checkups like every week. Every checkup, Nothing. Even with that artery that showed up, I mean the valve that showed up, it's not, it's not enough. It's bad. And Alana was born on January the 8th of 2016 and had to be born in a hospital about a block away from the Los Angeles Children's Hospital. So everything changed. I won't get into all the details for the sake of time, but uh, they had to rush to that hospital to give birth so that an ambulance could then take the baby on life support to the L.A. Children's Hospital where they were going to need to do a surgery. And, um, I mean, the baby's here now. Wires going everywhere, tubes and everything. I, see, we had had, I don't remember, what is Alana? She's, she's grandchild six. Is that right? Five or six. I can't. I got so many. I got to go through the list. Which one was who? I think she's six. And um, so we'd had five other grandchild experiences. This wasn't like those. Uh, man, when, when we're having grandkids, it's a party in the little waiting room. We're waiting. You know what I'm talking about? We got, we got Starbucks coffee traveler. We got Krispy Kreme donuts. We're having a baby, man. It's a big deal. Not this time. Uh, this time, you had to be admitted into ICU. You had to be scrubbed down. You're in gloves and masks and hats and shoes are covered and everything's covered. And you can't touch anything. 
And that's how I was introduced to my granddaughter, Alana, who was filled with wires and tubes and monitors. It was, you talk about trying to rock your world and mess with your head in the middle of your faith fight. Am I helping anybody with real world issues? See, you all understand? You're going to have to know what to do when bullets are flying your direction. Thank God for all your shooting range experience. But what you're desperate for is combat experience. And I'll help you with that in a minute. Long and short of it is, a few days later, I mean, my son and daughter-in-law would not get off their faith. They, even, even though she's born and every symptom is still there. Every symptom. They're not getting off their faith. They're not getting off their faith. Most people would have quit the first appointment that said there was no change. They would not get off their faith. Here she is. They're not getting off their faith. They did a complete test on this baby six hours before they went in for surgery. Nothing had changed. Zero. So for six hours before the surgery, my son Jason and daughter-in-law Jessica took turns holding Alana and speaking the word of God over her, praying in tongues and speaking the word and speaking the word for six hours until the surgeons or the, you know, the uh, nurses and everything came in to prep the baby for the surgery and took her down the hall to surgery. At which time they went into the waiting room and began to pray and speak the word of God and stay in faith. Well, this is a heart surgery, so those are a little lengthy. And when the doctor came out, he called for my son and daughter-in-law and said, You know, to be honest, when we opened her up, it wasn't anything like what we had seen six hours before. The, 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 all the arteries and all the things that were way too small had suddenly enlarged over that six-hour period. She was, she was bound, they said, for a lifetime of surgeries every year or so, every two years. And uh, they said, I don't, I don't know that she'll ever need another surgery. Are you all listening to me? So what's my message today? My message today is, if you don't know how to believe in a pair of shoes, how are you going to believe in a shoe store when believing in a shoe store is required? If you won't get combat experience in small things, what happens when something big slaps you in the face and you've got zero experience, zero using your faith, none? None. Now what are you going to do? Now what are you going to do? When you're up against the wall and bullets are flying and you wouldn't take time to show up to Wednesday night for a little extra teaching. Preaching better than your amen. When you could have been speaking to to the mountains when they weren't life and death. When your whole world wasn't on the line. You won't do it then? I'm going to just help you with something, folks. Straight out. You won't do it when it's big. You, you won't. You'll, you'll collapse. You'll give up. And that's a whole lot of reason why a lot of people die before they should, give up before they should, because they've got zero experience in the small areas. Go with me to the book of Jeremiah. You getting anything out of this? or? Are you wishing I'd change the subject or something? Fight. 
the good fight of faith. Jeremiah 12, please. Here's one you might want to underline if you don't already have it underlined in your Bible. Jeremiah chapter 12. Yeah, I had to outgrow $85 a week faith. I had to outgrow my toe hurts faith. But if you won't fight for your toe, if you won't fight for the 85 bucks, wait till it is 8,000 a week. Or 10 or 12. Y'all with me now? Look at this verse. Jeremiah 12, 5. If thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace wherein thou trusted they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? In other words, if you can't fight small, you'll never fight big. If running with footmen wears you out, how are you going to handle when a horse you got a horse battle? How are you going to handle it now? If you're if you're overcome by the smaller fights. Now here's what I mean. Most of the time <coughs> most of the time people say, Why why should I why should I fight over this pain in my head right here when I can just take an Advil and get it over with? Maybe you've said the same thing. Well, man, why should I be speaking to this mountain, believing God for healing over this headache? I just take a couple of Advil and get this thing over with. Well, yes, you can. Except that you might be able to use a little combat experience. Because the likelihood is if you don't have what it takes to stand over a headache, when they come in and tell you you've got three months to live, and you don't have any discipline and any experience. It'll take you over three months just to learn the discipline and the experience of using your faith. Too late now. Always fight small before you try to fight the big ones. Am I helping anybody? How many are starting to see where I'm going with this? If you won't learn to overcome stuff when it's not your life on the line, when it's not your family that's going to dissolve... If you're waiting until the world is about to come to an end, now you want to start using your faith? You've got no experience at this. You don't even know what's into the gun to point. Learn to use your faith small. That's why I gave that illustration a moment ago. It may seem corny, but it works. If you don't know how to use your faith to believe in a pair of shoes, how will you ever be able to use your faith to believe in the whole shoe store when that's the size of the problem you're facing? If you can't win when it's the footman level race, how do you think you'll win when you're running against horses? I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to stir you up in your faith. I'm not trying to talk you out of it. I'm trying to talk you into it. Let's do this thing. Let's learn how to be fighters. Let's learn how to deal with, with combat experience. Now, there's military people here that I believe they would concur with what I'm going to say. But, but they say that when... When you take somebody that's green, meaning they have zero combat experience, and you place them into a combat situation, they are the most likely to die. 
because they make bad decisions and make bad choices under the pressure of combat. It would be better to weed them in slowly, get them used to the fact that bullets are flying over their head and bombs are rocking the earth beneath their feet until they can adjust to that and understand uh, how to handle some combat. Then all of a sudden, with a little bit of combat experience, now a little bit more combat experience, now they have a little bit more of a level head under that kind of pressure than if they're just, here, go, see how you do. And that's often what we do to ourselves. We pass by all these opportunities to use our faith. I mean, when's the last time you, you believed God for a parking space? Now, let me just help you. If you're going to wait and use your faith five seconds before you've got to be pulling in, you, you don't have enough experience for that yet, probably. <laughs> Amen? But there are things in life that, that does... Can I just say it this way? It doesn't matter. If my head is hurting today, you know, all things being equal, it's not some weird thing that's causing it to hurt, but, you know, just the average, I didn't get enough sleep, headache, kind of deal, whatever. It's not likely I'm going to die in the next 24 hours if I've got to stand in faith. Now, I'll be more comfortable with the Advil. And that's kind of the way we are as Christians. We just want to be comfortable. I don't really want to fight. I just want to be comfortable. What will make me comfortable? See, you know, I could believe that in or I could just use my credit card. We've got no practice believing anything in. Did I just mess up your world? I'm not taking your credit card from you. I'm trying to give you an example. We look for the easy way through every situation and circumstance that we face. What's the easiest way to get this over with? I'll take that. But the problem is we're lacking the combat experience that we need in the middle of that. Those things give us combat experience. Somebody say amen now. All right. Let's go to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. How many is glad you're in church today and are hearing this now? You won't fight in the small. You won't qualify to fight in the big. You're going to need some serious help then. And the sad thing is, sometimes we wait too late to get that help once it's come to that point. Of that level. First Samuel 17, verse 34. You know this story. This is when a fellow by the name of Goliath shows up and starts taunting the children of Israel and mocking them. And all the army, I'm talking about the army, not just little boys or something. The army of Israel is shaking in their boots, hiding in a trench. David shows up. And, you know, first of all, he wants to know what the reward is. If I win this battle, so they tell him, he asks two or three times, wants to find out what he get. He said, I can handle it. Send me. He's just a kid, you know, 17, 15, 16, 17 year old kid. I can handle that. Just a, it's just a giant, just a, just a, just a giant with no covenant with God. I've got a covenant with God. He knew who he was. Now watch this. Pick up in verse 34. 1 Samuel 17, 34. David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. 
And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and I smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. What did David have before he faced his giant? Testimonies. Testimonies of victories in smaller battles. Let me tell you my story. There came a lion against my daddy's sheep. I went after said lion. I caught said lion. I grabbed him by the beard. There is lion breath in my face, but I'm getting my daddy's little lammy out of his mouth. And then I took that lamb and I set it aside and I killed that lion. And I got lion head up on my wall. Some of you got deer head and all that stuff. He's He's got a lion trophy. Oh, let me tell you, there came a bear one day against my daddy's sheep and it took a lamb. And I went after that bear and I caught that bear. And I grabbed him by his beard, and me and him are face to face, and I'm smelling his nasty bear breath. And I get the the lamb out of that bear's mouth, and I set it down, and I take that bear, and I kill that bear. And I've got a bear head up on my wall here, right next to my lion head trophy. And now when he faced a Goliath, are y'all getting this? He had experience. He had some combat experience. He could. Everybody else is still shaking in their boots. But the guy that was willing to fight, I'm not saying a lion and a bear are insignificant. <coughs> but this giant and his army, they're going to conquer your whole country if you don't beat them. So my point is, he had testimonies of winning in combat. Do you have any testimonies of your faith working? That's why I ask you, what can you point to <coughs> that said, that says my faith did that? My faith did that. My faith produced that. I didn't quit. <coughs> Excuse me. When the lion came. See, he had experience. He had experience. You need experience using your faith. Don't wait until the most awful day arrives and you get this horrific report. And then you're going to use your faith. Now you're going to learn how to do it. Now you're looking for the notes from three years ago when we covered that subject. And you should have been, you should have been using your faith on a daily basis to just live this way. It's how we live. We learn to use our faith in everyday situations. Everyday situations. Every single day situations. So that when Goliath starts hollering across the valley, you go, hmm, there's my lion head trophy. There's my bear head trophy. What do you, what do you think you are? You're an uncircumcised Phil. That's just another way of saying you don't even have a covenant with God. You're nothing. I got a covenant with God. I got the promises in my heart. I know what God will do because I've had him do it through me before when my faith was on the line. My point is, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to wait until something is huge slapping you in the face 
the likelihood is that combat is going to get your stress level hiked up so so high that all you've ever done previously is shoot in the shooting range, it's not going to be a happy day when that tension starts kicking in. And now your hearing is shutting down, your vision is messed up, the way you hold your weapon is not, is not the way it usually feels. I'm explaining why people in their walk of faith wait too long to get good at it. Don't wait too long. Can I conclude with the book of Luke? Book of Luke. You've got to decide today if this message stirs you up to action or if it stirs you up and gets you to lunch. Because if you'll put action to this, your life will change after this one service. And you'll recognize opportunities to use your faith and the need to have your faith continually growing and the need to become proficient with using your faith. But if this is just a message that you heard on a Sunday morning, we've dismissed, said amen, now let's go to lunch. The sad thing is you'll, you'll need to know it, and, and all it was was another sermon you heard. In the last days, you better hang on every word that's ever preached in here. Because based on the signs of the times and what the scriptures say, we don't have that long. That means every service is life and death. Every service is extremely, extremely valuable. My concluding verses are found in Luke chapter 6. I want to start in verse 46. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep. Say dig, dug deep. So, y'all, I mean, the first guy he gives us an illustration for or illustration of, is a guy who's willing to pay a bigger price than the average Christian. He's willing to dig deep. Are you willing to dig deep? Or are you a minimum effort type? Because, you know, nowadays in church, I mean, I pastor a church. I travel to churches all over America. Nowadays, people want to do the bare minimum and get the Medal of Honor for it. Not going to work. (coughs) Stop. All right, this guy dig deep, 48. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep. And he laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it. Everybody say could not shake it. For it was founded upon a rock. Now, next verse. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. Say, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. There's a lot of people whose life has been ruined. It's a sad thing to watch what happens in people's life and to see their life has fallen apart. It's been ruined. That's what the Scripture actually uses the word ruined. Why? They didn't pay the same price that this other guy paid. He dug deep, laid his foundation on a rock. He was a doer of the word. He wasn't just hearing sermons. He came to Jesus, heard what he said, and did it. I think Charles Capps 
use that as three steps to success. Come to Jesus, hear the Word of God, and do it. It's your three steps to success in life. Amen? And one day I'm going through these verses, and I'm meditating on it. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, you don't, get, you don't have it yet. You, you don't get it. This passage, you don't get it. You know how you want to talk to the Lord and say, well, Lord, I, I do get it. I mean, one guy dig deep, one guy didn't. Yeah, but you don't have it. Well, one guy was a doer of the word, one guy wasn't. Yep, you don't have it. So I reread it, and I reread it, and I meditated on it, and I reread it, and I reread it. And finally, it jumped right off the page. 48. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, and the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, found it on a rock. He that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently. And immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. And over and over I went over it, until suddenly I realized something is in 48 that's not in 49. In 48, the guy that's doing the word and digging deep had both a flood and a stream. In 49, they only had a stream. And their life was ruined. Stream represents the smaller arenas of life and a flood represents the big stuff. The person who's a doer of the word, not just a hearer, can face the big stuff, the small stuff, any stuff, and they cannot be shaken. But somebody who just hears the word, has, has made a habit of just hearing the word, but never doing it, never applying it, all it will take is a stream to come their way. And it will wipe them out. You see right there, it's in your Bible. I didn't make it up. It's right there in verse 48 and verse 49. How many of you see it? Do you see it? Big and little. The doer of the word, still standing. Little, the person who wouldn't do the word, wiped out. I'm amazed in the last days what little things are wiping people out. and They, they can't be faithful to church. Can't do their assignment in the house of God. Just something little. What do I got to change? Start applying the word of God to your life in every way. Be a doer of the word no matter what anything, no matter what else is going on in your life. Because I can promise you there's going to come a day when you're going to need to be really proficient at using your faith. And you're going to have to have faith that continues to grow and then grow some more and then grow some more and then grow some more. So that you can stand and overcome absolutely every adversary that rises up against you. The promises of God, the word of God is more than enough, more than enough to handle any situation. So the problem isn't God and His Word. It's our refusal to get the experience we need in using it. So that when problems come, they don't terrify us and cause us to run away. But we're a warrior standing in the door, one against seven. And you realize, I'm a warrior, this is what I do, i got to take these seven guys out. I'm a faith warrior, I've got to deal with this issue. And I'm going to win. That needs to be the heart that you have from this day forward. Do you get anything out of this in Jesus' name?
Hallelujah. Let me pray. And then I'm going to turn the service back to Pastor. I think I went a little over my time here. So, Father, I just thank you that the Word of God that has gone forth today is penetrating the hearts and minds of every person to the point that it moves us to action and that we do not allow the enemy any further access to terrify us, to move us off your word, to get us to give up our faith, throw in the towel, quit, give up, move on. Nope, nope, we're going to stand. We're going to stand. We're going to see the word of God come to pass in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you welcome your pastor? Come on. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.